this is like one of the first <laughs> old canon books I read, and that uh, made you read it. And man, we both I, made a land and read it. That's yeah, right, that's, and I'm glad right. you did. Because you guys talked about it, and you're like, oh, you got to read it, you got to read it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And then I remember I read the first book, and I'm like, man, now I want to read the second and the third one. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even uh, – didn't your sister read it too? I did. She's actually got my copies of this book. You did good, Landon. You did good. She's read them, and she loves them. I'm like, yeah, you need to read those to your elementary school kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be great. I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Star Wars Ties. I am super excited today to have both of my co-hosts with me. I am Jameson Stout. On my left is my co-host, the amazing Lando Fett, Mr. Landon Long. Hello, hello. On my right is none other than the amazing Rob Vader. Oh, I'm evil. Returning. He strikes back. Oh, man, I got to take orders from that guy. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. About time. Mr. Rob Luther himself has returned to our episodes of Star Wars Ties, and today we are super excited to have the three of us together to talk about one of our favorite books in the old canon, and that is the Star Wars Han Solo Trilogy Volume 1, The Paradise Snare. Yeah! Uh-huh. So, Landon, how you doing, bud? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, getting ready for the holidays here. How about y'all? I'm doing all right. How about you, Rob? Oh, man, I'm about the same, my friend. About the same. First of all, I'm so thankful to be back, man. I've, I've been listening to the show while, uh, while I've been gone and really liking it. But I figured, I, geez, that Landon fella, i got to come back and kind of straighten things up here. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm the one going to straighten you out, man. No way. No way, tough guy. You get out of here. Take off. No way. You take off. <laughs> uh, well, you, I will at the end of the show. Oh, Fine. Really? I will, too, then. Fine. Fine. Well, fine. That leaves me all by myself. So, okay, <laughs> this might be a one-man show, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, so Rob, I want to formally congratulate you on yet another baby on the way. That's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Yep, a uh, little one is about nine weeks along as we're recording this, man. It's it's crazy to think about, man. I, I there was a point in time where I was told I would probably never be a dad. So, uh, you know, it's it's pretty amazing, man. Uh, I'm very very blessed. So I appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, well, I know what it's like to have two, and it's nothing but great. Until, oh, that's awesome. Until your oldest turns four. <laughs> then it's yeah, all well, downhill. <laughs> when they hit four, that's when the attitude starts. Uh, yes, sass. Yeah. Uh, maybe My son started hitting now. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he started hitting me, you know, so I've, I've, I've had to show him some kung fu moves, you know. Yeah. I might as well just make the best of the opportunity. Just be careful and don't build any Lego towers, because you know he'll just come over and knock them down. That's true. (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, we would spend a little bit more time checking in, but we're going to, it's a novel, so we're going to dive in pretty quickly here. I do have a couple things I need to go through, so if you'll bear with me for a moment, I'll go through the the contact us list here. So, listeners, if you want to get in contact with Star Wars Ties, we would certainly love to hear from you. Uh, You can contact us at our Gmail account, Star Wars Ties Podcast at gmail.com. 
If you'd rather get in touch with us via Facebook, we do have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Star Wars Ties. That gets visited very frequently by all three of us, and we, we try to keep it updated and lots of posts and Star Wars memes to keep you entertained. Mm-hmm. Uh, feel free to follow that particular group. Uh, I would also like to comment that we are on iTunes, and we would love to have some feedback as to how we're doing, whether it be positive or negative. Uh, for those of you that have been listening regularly, you are aware that we have had a giveaway going on regarding the possibility of feedback on iTunes, and that ended as of December 1st. And we had one review from Big Papa L. So Big Papa L, if you're listening, feel free to get in contact with us, and we will be happy to send you your giveaway. You're the man. You're the man. That's right. We appreciate it. While I'm uh, giving out some thanks and comments, I'd like to do a quick shout-out to Christopher Carlson. Uh, if you've been on our Facebook page, you're, you're very familiar with him and his posts. Christopher, thanks for posting everything about all of the different types of gaming and RPG gaming and all of the, the new expansion packages that have been released. Uh, I know I personally have really enjoyed kind of checking in and seeing what you reviewed and, and checking out your comments. Uh, so thank you very much for that, and by all means, keep posting and keeping everybody up to date on what's coming out on that particular side of the Star Wars universe. Yeah, Calabunga Chris, he's the man. I know him. Oh, I'm sorry, Christopher, you have to <laughs> He's he, he was one of our uh, buddies over at the Turtle Flakes. So, uh, yeah, it's cool to have him over on this side, too. It, it, it's really cool to see, you know, fellow Turtle fans that happen to be Star Wars fans as well. So thanks a lot, man. I mean, that's really great because we know that, most of us are retro fans in various ways, and of course, Star Wars and Turtles both are retro elements. So it's it's just awesome to to see you guys enjoying the same things we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one set I would like to see Ninja Turtles Star Wars crossover action figures. I, I would like some of those. <laughs> I, I mean, I could totally see. You know, obviously, April would be Leia. Yeah. And, uh, let's see. I'm kind of picturing Han Solo being Raphael. Raph. I was thinking Raph. Yeah. yeah. Or Casey. Okay. Oh, ooh, Casey. Yeah. Ooh. Nice. yeah. Uh, so who would Splinter? Splinter would obviously be Obi Wan Kenobi. Oh, or Yoda. Oh man. Ooh. <laughs> See, this could well, be fun. See, they did Star be... Trek. Yeah, but I think uh, it's because of who owned the Star Trek franchise. I think. Uh, but I don't know. But anyway, it would be really fun to see that. IDW, if <laughs> you're listening, which I know you're not, by all means, that would be really cool. <laughs> So another thing that I wanted to go over very quickly was we got a little bit of feedback on Facebook. A couple weeks ago, I posted, actually I posted on November 8th, asking what is something Star Wars related you were thankful for? I tried to do it right before Thanksgiving, and of course now it's December, so it's after Thanksgiving, but (laughs) thank you for your comments. Stephen Michael posted that he's thankful that Disney purchased Star Wars so that we could get tons of new content. And uh, Mm -hmm. Stephen, I wholeheartedly agree. The fact that they've basically declared that every movie – or excuse me, every year is going to be a Star Wars movie for the indefinite future, does <laughs> nothing but make me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same here. Yay. Yeah. Steven's also the man. Yeah, Steven, you're the man. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Frank posted opening night movie adventures because it's always a cool group of people, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I distinctly remember going to Force Awakens for opening night, and I'm looking forward to going and seeing The Last Jedi with you guys. Heck Yeah. Yeah. It's become our tradition. Us, but yeah, it'll be opening weekend. It counts. Yeah. 
Uh, Caleb Parham posted that he's thankful for his coworker bringing him a Tuscan Raider gaffy stick for his classroom. <laughs> I want that coworker. Rob, why didn't you yes. do that with me? Uh, I could give you a yardstick. I have two of those, one of which I broke. But anyway. Uh, double wielder, eh? <laughs> well, for the record, <laughs> I teach band, and yardsticks hitting a rhythm on the chalkboard usually results in something breaking. <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, let's see, Simon Phillips, I'm going to I'm gonna segue away from that as quickly as possible. Uh, Simon Phillips commented that Jar Jar getting less screen time as the prequels progressed was what he was thankful for. Uh, Simon, you might not want to listen to the one of the later episodes that Landon and I recorded where we defended episode one. But, I mean, you know, if, if you stop listening, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's because Rob got on. Uh-huh. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, all right, well. Any other comments real quick, guys? Hey, I'm thankful for this book. It's I'm one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. This whole trilogy. Thankful for AC Crispin for writing it. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, if that's the case, then let's go bother Madame Jacosta New and get ourselves in the Jedi archives. Madame Jacosta New. My name is Jameson Stout, and with me are Rob and Landon, and we would like to explore the Jedi Archives. So good to meet you. Let's show you around. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Pokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. We are going to be looking and discussing the Star Wars Volume 1 of the Han Solo trilogy, The Paradise Snare. A couple of specs about this particular novel. Uh, It was published by Bantam Spectrum on May 5th, 1997. So, what, 20 years ago now? Oh my gosh, that's crazy to think about. I can't believe that. Yeah. Um, The author was A.C. Crispin, who unfortunately passed away back in 2013. See, that blew my mind, Jameson. I was actually looking at your show notes. I thought she – I feel terrible. I I thought she was still alive. I I had no idea that she had passed away. Well, I mean she was only 63. She was born in 1950. Wow. Uh, That's that's young. So sad because I was was eventually looking forward to having her on the show one day to maybe talk about her mindset with Han Solo and why she never maybe – you know, after this trilogy, she never came back and did any Star Wars stuff, did she? Not that I can find. I, I went. To, she yeah. still has a website up that's not really updated. The last time it was updated was 2010, and that's how I actually uh-huh. found out she passed away. Because uh, I was going to email her and ask her if she'd interview with us. And uh, her website was great because it was like, if you'd like to check out my work Facebook page, click here. If you'd like to email me personally, click here. I'm like, cool. I'll click on her Facebook page and kind of see what she's doing, see what she's up to, that kind of thing. And nothing happened. I mean, it went to Facebook, but it didn't open up a page, and I'm like, what's going on? So I searched her in Facebook, and somebody had posted that she passed away in 2013, so I started doing a little digging, and I'm like, man. Yeah, what a bummer. What a talent. Yeah, I know. She was an amazing writer. There's no argument mm-hmm. there. So A.C. Crispin, rest in peace, but we're going to look forward to talking about your book. Absolutely. One of many. Uh-huh. I'm sure that were really good. Uh, the cover artist for The Paradise Snare was Drew Struzan, I think is his name. Uh, we'll say that's right. Mm. Uh, and uh, of course, if we just look at the cover, it's it's an awesome sketch. I mean, it's it's just. Did, nice. did he draw all three? Uh, I do not know the answer to that uh, off the top of my head. But if you would like, you can click on the link that I put in the show notes, which uh, listeners, I'll make sure are in the show notes 
attached to the podcast as well. And it will give you all the information about Paradise Snare, and of course the additional two books in the trilogy are are linked there. Yeah, I dare say this is my favorite cover out of the three. I'm trying to think about the other two. Rebel Dawn is probably my least favorite cover. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to remember Hut Gambit off the top of my head, and I, I can't pick. That's the big blue one. That's the, it was the blue, blue one with Java. Yeah, Java in the background. That's right. <clears throat> uh, so for those of you that are familiar with how the old canon timeline works, uh, everything is based on the Battle of Yavin, which, of course, is the, the first Death Star battle at the end of Episode Four, A New Hope. And according to Wikipedia.com, you know, highly trusted source, uh, which I really do think they do a good job uh, keeping it updated and fairly accurate with the Star Wars world. This book takes place 10 years before the Battle of Yavin, or BBY, which according to the, the records that I have in some of my older books on my bookshelf, that's as accurate. So if I'm not mistaken, we don't actually get Han Solo's age in this book, do we? Oh, I don't know. Ooh. I don't think so. It never tells you how old he actually think... is, but I always kind of figured he was in his late teens. Oh, see, I was thinking that. Uh, yeah, I was thinking he actually early 20s, but yeah, late teens would I'm be close to. I'm thinking like 17, going on 18. Uh, because if you look at Bria's age, she was a little younger than he, but she was about to go to college. Oh. If you think so. So she was on the edge of 17. So she was probably uh, at 17, uh, 18. So we might put him at 19 at the latest. I think I remember it saying that he had spent 19 years aboard the Trader's Luck. So, yeah, that would that would be about the right timeline. Well, gotcha. if he'd spent 19 years on the Trader's Luck, he was picked up about seven or eight. So that might change a little bit. But regardless, we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit more here in just a minute. But <laughs> uh, I was trying to figure out approximately how old he would have been in A New Hope. And I always kind of figured he was close to 30. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. where I placed him. But I could be wrong. Anyway. That, yeah, that makes sense. So that means that, that would he would need to be about 17 to 19 because then he'd be 27 to 29 about Rebel Dawn. And right, a lot of time passes between the three books, yeah. Yeah, you've got, you've got some time passing there. But anyway, so the old canon timeline says this happens 10 years before the Battle of Yavin uh, and with, of course, flashbacks, which we'll, we'll get into. Um, and that's all the specs I have. So, gentlemen, let's dig in. <laughs> well, how do you want to do it, my friend? Do you want to go chapter by chapter or do you want to just – Freestyle it. I would love to go chapter by chapter, but I also know we're kind of on a time crunch, and chapter by chapter would take a while. So I vote that uh, let's kind of look at this in, in chunks. Uh, we know that the first couple okay. of chapters are basically his escape from the traitor's luck and, and kind of stepping into chasing after the Yolesia. Was is that how we want to pronounce that? I'm, sure. sure. I, yeah. call it, I was I like, it. like Elysia. I don't even know. <laughs> I like Elysia. Elysia. I like Elysia. All right. Well, however we end up pronouncing it. So let's kind of focus on it maybe in, in chunks of, you know, kind of the events that occur. Uh, but before we dig in too deep, listeners, I do want to point out we are going to be talking about this book pretty openly and freely. So I'm going to go ahead and throw a spoiler warning out there. If you've not read the book and you are really adamant about n- not knowing important plot points or things like that before – you read, you might want to read the book before you listen to this podcast. Yeah, we'll wait. Yeah, we'll wait. We've got plenty of time. <laughs> um, just, just you know, stop the podcast, go read the book. It'll only take you, you know, about a week or less, depending on how fast to read. And then, and then come back and listen to us, and, and then you can give us your, your take on it. But um, 
I do know that one of our listeners is reading this for the first time, uh, Stephen yeah. Michael. Yeah. I'm so excited for him. I am too. Oh, man, this is like one of the first <laughs> old canon books I read. And, that uh, made you read it. And man, we both I, made a land and read it. That's yeah, right. And I'm glad right. you did. Because you guys talked about it. And you're like, oh, you got to read it. You got to read it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And then I remember I read the first book and I'm like, Man, now I want to read the second and the third one. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even uh, didn't your sister read it too? I did. She's actually got my copies of this book. You did good, Landon. You did good. She's read them and she loves them. I'm like, yeah, you need to read those to your elementary school kids. Oh yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> well, let me open it up by saying Garrett Shrike is one heck of a villain. I like him and hate him at the same time. Yes. I think it was a very well-written villain. I do. And I think the way she introduces him is perfect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I, first of all, I like the way she kind of tied in. You know, it hits the ground running with Chapter 1, you know, with Han. He's trying to break Dulana loose. Is that how you say her name? Dulana? I the think Wookie? so. Du- yeah. I think so. That's how I've always – I actually – it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Dulana. Speaking of which, another great character. Another great character. Yes. I mean, yes. you learn a little bit about her all throughout the story – and she's one of those characters that's almost like a mother figure to Han, you know, and takes care of him. As a matter of fact, we find out later on in the story, the whole reason she stayed on Traitor's Luck, Garrus ship, was to pretty much keep an eye out for Han because she knew how evil Garrus was. And uh, it just makes you appreciate her even more, even though she dies early on, yeah. you know, basically sacrificing her life yeah. to save Han. Yeah, exactly. She's kind of the main reason, you know, Han... You know, he was kind of wanting to stay behind. It's like, no, I can't leave you here when she's dying. And she's like, no, you know, you need to leave. I didn't sacrifice myself just for you to end up under Shrike's rule and being a, a, a jerk like he is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He didn't, didn't didn't die to leave you stuck here even longer. That's that's true. Yeah. So anyway, the, the book kind of starts with – actually, it doesn't start with Han Solo. It starts with Gary Shrike. Uh, introduces him and kind of lets you think about him. I love the omniscient view that we get. We kind of dig into each character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little bit. We kind of get behind their their thought processes, which is really useful when when we're dealing with as many characters as we have. And uh, of course, Han Solo, as as Robin Landon had mentioned, is trying to break out of the traitor's luck, and he's trying to do it on a robot ship, which means it does not have air for living people. So he's of course mm-hmm. having to do it with you know a spacesuit so that he could breathe and, and have it in air capacity and things like that and i love can i just say i love the the fight that he has with that little r2 do r2 unit in there yeah i was gonna say that too that's a, <laughs> you know because it kind of goes to like play later on and of course in the star wars films where he hates droids yeah and always <laughs> argues with goldenrod or, or c-3po i mean it's just it's perfect <laughs> his, his lack of patience for technological things that aren't ships things he can't oh control. it's great i think that's the best way to look at it he can't control it he doesn't like it Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so th- one of the best things about this book series, uh, listeners, is that it gives you a lot of those backstory things. You're like, well, how did Han know how to do that? Or where would Han have developed that particular perspective or thought process? And, of course, one of those things is is the ability to communicate with Wookiees. And, of course, having the relationship with Duana is how he developed that. She basically raised him so he naturally learned how to understand her language so that he could be able to communicate with her on the traitor's luck. Which was, mm-hmm. was an and did you catch he calls him scruffy later too, or, yes. or early on too? And and ruffles his hair and wants him to be scruffy looking. Yeah, Who's I love that scruffy looking. <laughs> and that won't be the first time scruffy's mentioned in this book. No, it, it comes up quite a few times <laughs> actually. 
Mm-hmm. So even in the anthology books, we kind of get these questions that we've always had answered, which is part of the reason I post on Facebook. If you had questions, by all means, post them. And I noticed that Thomas Graham posted that he wanted to know who shot first. And uh, I'm sorry, Thomas, we don't actually turn <laughs> that out in this book. Or a rebel. None of them. We, this book stops well before that. And in all honesty, that literally is answered in the movie, which, depending on the version you're watching, uh, is Han or Greedo. Or Han or Greedo. Or Han. I think we picked the version, fifth version, where Han does it. I'm not really sure. I've given up trying to count. Greedo's had a comment. Yeah, he was jerk. He was jerk. Yeah. Either way, Greedo dies. What does it matter? <laughs> So after he uh, escapes and gets on the ship, uh, as, as Rob pointed out, he argues with this droid, and, and you kind of understand and, and get a feel for his distaste for droids. But this particular ship is carrying a shipment of illegal substances, um, so we're already dealing with smuggling before we even get too far into the book. And it's taking raw materials, I believe, back to Yelsha or Yelesha. <laughs> get used to us pronouncing it like 15 different ways. <laughs> So I wanted to talk about his crash landing, but I'll let you guys talk first. Uh, is this the chapter where we get a little bit of Han's backstory as Garrus finds him? Was that this chapter? Uh, that was that was in the first chapter or two. I think it was the second chapter where as he's flying on the ship and, and trying to yes. sleep and stuff like that, that's where we get a lot of the flashbacks into his early life. So go ahead and talk about that. Well, I was just going to say real briefly in, in that those early chapters, one nice thing again is kind of we go back and forth with flashbacks and to the present time pretty early on. So you kind of get a perspective of, you know, where Han came from. And he was basically just uh, an orphan at this point, just basically a street urchin. And Garrett Shrike very, very wisely has been tracking these kids to see, you know, which ones it's almost like survival of the fittest, which ones can make it out on the streets, which ones are clever enough to to actually survive. And he, I, in my mind, Garrus has probably been watching Han for quite some time and sees that there might be some potential in Han. And of course, he sounds all nice and charming and goes, hey, how would you like to go see my ship? You know, uh, do you like, do you like spaceships? Do you like uh, space shuttles? I've got one for you and I can give you a hot meal and all this stuff. <laughs> of course, that sounds great to Han. So he joins him. Yeah, it sounds good. But it doesn't take long for Han to figure out that he's being used as a thief, as a pickpocket. And, you know, even though he plays along with Garrus's plan to, to bring him money, you know, even early on as he's a kid, he's making plans. He's like, I got one day I'm going to get out of here. One day I'm going to find a way to to get out of the situation I'm in. But right now I have to take what I can get. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great synopsis of that. It's it's amazing to kind of see how he he developed and kind of grew his own skills as, as a pilot because he was a sweet pilot in the races. And I loved how they gave the perspective of him being a beggar and wanting to be a pickpocket just because you got to kind of mm-hmm. was a step up. So you kind of see how Garrus had developed these levels of of crime, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, so that it was something coveted, something he wanted to improve upon. Um, and this is also the chapter, I think, where we get a little bit of backstory as far as he finds out that he is uh, – he, while he doesn't find out much about his parents – he does find out that he is related to a, a rich family, uh, and there was obviously some tragedy associated with that family, but in the end, he was orphaned because of all of that, and that's how Garrett Shrike picks him up. That's right. Uh, warning kids, don't say yes to strangers offering to take you to their vehicle and, and offering warm food. Because they and could these, kill your Wookiee mother. 
to know your 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 mother. Looking mother. Your mother. <laughs> But these chapters, too, they kind of build up how Han kind of keeps a level head during trouble. If you've noticed, anytime you watch Star Wars, blasters are flying all around, and he's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, these kind of show how people picking people's pockets, being a swoop bike pilot, you know, and just kind of, you know, he'd run into trouble every day, and he just kind of learned how to keep a cool head and talk his way out of it doing this, too. That's true. That's a great point. So as he's flying this ship and we get all these flashbacks, we finally get to the point where he realizes that he's going to run out of air if he doesn't quickly change the trajectory of the ship and then have to land it himself. Now, I didn't catch this. I don't think I caught this the first two times I read it, but I did catch it thanks to Rob making me read it the third time here. (laughs) He can't see. There's no, like, windshield, for lack of a better word, in the ship that he's flying I didn't even notice hmm. that. No. Did anybody else no. catch that? If you go back and read, he's having to, to base everything off of the instruments. Like he's yelling at that's part of the reason he's so frustrated with the droid. Is because he's like, I need to be able to read the weather readouts and the tactical readouts of the terrain and stuff like that because I have no idea how I'm gonna land this ship. I can't see. It didn't need a viewport because it was run by a robot wow. or, or a droid. That's how good know. he is. He is. That's how good he is. He crash lands this ship. Which, which is, but the fact that he crash lands it enough to where he can survive and it doesn't do a lot of damage to it, just amazes the people he's trying to get to hire him, and they hire him anyway. Okay, <laughs> wrecked our ship. He caused us, you know, probably thousands of dollars worth of repairs. But you know, hey, you're good enough. You you survived this this particular flight. We've had pilots die trying to do it, and they could see. So we'll hire you. But you, you know, I still view them as idiots. I mean, is it just me? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. They're, they're in like baths, and they go, "Hey, you wrecked the ship. You're hired." <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I just they're just they're idiots. Uh, they're idiots. It's why they're, they're not huts. That's that's true, and that's, yeah, that's I mean, you know probably why they don't last very long. You know, spoiler alert, no. right there. Oh, so. well, some of them, some of them still last, but I mean, it's it's oh my goodness, you're right. It's that part still just blows my mind. Hey, I just crash landed the ship, and the only reason I'm alive is because I basically threatened this droid to open the hatch <laughs> just so I could breathe. Assuming, of course, the air on this planet was breathable by humans. Not even positive that was a possibility. And then they put him in a med bay, let him recover, and then hire him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're like, hey, man. And, and they even negotiate <laughs> with him. Han's like, okay, you're going to have to give me a little bit more plus like free training or something like that. I couldn't remember what it was. And they're like, oh, okay, sure, we'll meet you in the middle. So you know, Yeah, he was a good negotiator. He was really able to kind of to work that out pretty not well. Not bad for a teenager. No. No, not bad at all. Or, or early 20. I don't think I could have done it in my late teens or early 20s. Right. I'm like, uh, at least not, not to his level. <laughs> so immediately after that, we meet the Tagorian. Mer? 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 Yeah, I just called him Merg. Murder. <laughs> well, let's let's give it a little bit of a, a journey. Oh. Gotta put the Oh, I thought you were coughing up a hairball. Maybe that's how he got his name. And your name? That's a great name. Yep. So did you ever hear the story about Johann Sebastian Bach? No. No. See, he could talk when he was born. So they were like, well, what are we going to name him? 
And he looked up and said, I'll be Bach. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Sorry. I enjoyed anyway, it. I appreciate that. That was good. I mean, it's, it's, it's why Mozart hates chickens. Because all they say is Bach, 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 Bach. <laughs> I didn't get it for a second for that thing. You, you brought it home. <laughs> what he did there, he, he left you in the dark, and then he, boom. Yep. Turns the lights on. <laughs> and I diverted our attention way away from Star Wars. Sorry about that. Okay, well, can I just say Merg is like my favorite character in this, probably this entire book. <laughs> yes, He's so can. lovable. He's so lovable. I, I can't, you know, and I knew, I knew as soon as I read him in this chapter, I said they're going to become friends because yep. Han is always with, Either a Wookiee or a giant animal of some sort, and uh, a giant animal alien. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, you know, you just can't. And I knew he was going to be a fixture character. He's going to be in most of the story. I had a bad feeling when I first read it; he was going to die. But, I was uh, scared to death he was too. Yeah, especially toward the end. You know, but oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I loved him right away, and the whole reason Merg's introduced is because the high priest, Tiroenza, well, I guess that's that, Tiroenza. I'm trying to figure out how I was going to pronounce it tonight. I think it's Tiroenza. Uh, Tiroenza, okay. Tiroenza, I like that. Yeah, he's like the high priest, and he is he is playing these people, you know, these poor these poor pilgrims on this planet. He is playing them like a fiddle, yeah. and we'll, we'll get into that. But even with that, he still doesn't, Tiroenza still doesn't trust Han all that well. So Which is smart. Yeah, right, sure. Is. And he's playing it safe. He's like, you know what? He's very clever about this. He's like, you know what? Uh, Han, don't worry. It's a dangerous galaxy out there. We're just going to uh, have Merg follow you for protection, for your own sake. But really, he's using Merg to kind of keep tabs on Han and his, his real intentions. So Tiroenza, maybe he's not such an idiot. Uh, out of the <laughs> Tyndall Till or whatever, he was the smartest. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So my wife just texted me that those were horrible jokes. She's in the other room, and apparently I heard them. <laughs> <laughs> They're so bad she had to be attacked. You know. I mean, she couldn't even do it by person. From hmm. the other room, just that was bad. No. Thanks, you. Did you guys kind of feel like Murr was a was a Chewbacca stand-in? I do. I think that I honestly think that that was the the purpose behind it was to give us because we've always pictured Han Solo with. Some form of, of alien counterpart that was yeah. bigger, brawnier, yeah. and, and kind of the muscle behind Han Solo's brains. Not that Murgis or Chewbacca are, are not smart, but you, you get the idea. But yeah. I didn't mind him, though. I like, didn't either. Though, like, we're used to that. I didn't feel like he was just a phoned-in character. Yeah. I really liked his honor code. Right. I think giving it the impression that he started out kind of being – having almost switched sides as the book goes on. From being a, a good guy, or rather, not necessarily a bad guy, but obviously aligning his loyalties to the Tyndall Till and, and the whole operation uh, of the Alessian culture or, or pilgrimage. And then having, as the text goes on, he develops the friendship and the relationship with Han and eventually switches sides for, for reasons we'll get into. Um, I think that's what makes me like the character is the fact that you, again, just like Landon and I have talked about, and, and I'm sure Rob and I have talked about it too, it, it's a logical transition. For, mm-hmm. for reasons you can completely humanly understand. You're like, yep, I'd do that. Uh, yep, I'd switch there too. You know, yeah, makes sense. Oh, yeah, and, and, and yeah. especially when you know his... Um, so I think he's a great character. Me too. I, I agree with you. I think he's a great character. And especially when you, you understand, like, his whole motivation is he's trying to find his lost wife, his lost partner, which was uh, right. Marav, I guess? I, I'm going to call her Marav. Marav, yeah. yeah. Marav. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So listeners, if you are interested, Mur was chasing after Marov because they were engaged to be married. And she left before they got married, and he was obviously heartbroken. And he waited long enough and finally gave up and started to chase her. And he had heard that she had followed a pilgrimage like this one, like the Yelstian pilgrimage, which I'll talk about in just a second. And uh, so he chased after it, and now he's stuck on Yelsia trying to get off. He's earning the money mm -hmm. as the bodyguard. So he and Han are actually in a very similar situation, which is why I think they hit it off so quickly, because they're both kind of in limbo with with the jobs at Yelsia, so they can go on and, and continue what their actual missions or dreams are. Because at this point, we found out that Han Solo is actually seeking to join the Empire and be an Imperial pilot. Yes, that's an ongoing yes. theme throughout this whole book. Yeah, and, and that's a very important point, uh, because you have to remember, of course, at this point, obviously the Empire is the reigning government so to be a member of the imperial military is a good thing mm -hmm. you know it's it's a it'd be no different than being in the military you know in our own country so obviously a highly respectable position and one that deserves a lot of recognition mm -hmm. so han obviously wants that job so that he can kind of turn his life around and be recognized for the good that he can do not the bad uh since he's spent most of his life smuggling stealing and you know pickpocketing so let's talk about the, the pilgrimage that the Tyndall Seal have created. Landon, why don't you take it? Sure. So uh, what would happen is the Tyndall Till were actually using the, the pilgrims as kind of slaves in a spice mining facility. And what they would do each evening to keep the slaves kind of in order was they would have the exaltation. And what it was was the pilgrims thought it was this big, huge spiritual experience that brought them all together to, with the one and all. So they would have one of the uh, the priests usually uh, – let's see who who do they say it is. Veritol and other Elysian priests would perform the exaltation. Uh, come to find out that the exaltation is just a biological function that the uh, Tyndall Till use – to uh, attract a female maid. It, what it does is they bang their tails against the floor in like rapid succession, and it kind of it kind of makes you high. It makes you giddy and happy, and just as they describe it, jolts of pleasure go through your body, and you just lose all cognizant thought because you're so focused on how good you're feeling. And you come to find out that the the Tyndall Till used this ability to keep the slaves working because it's like, well, you know, if you want to leave, you can leave, but you won't have any more exultation. And they're like, oh, well, I can't live without that. So, you know, they go and get this uh, this euphoric high from the Tyndall Till. And that was one of the main reasons, you know, the slaves didn't have a whole lot of security guards there was because they were pretty much addicted to this good feeling and would do anything to get it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the additional tricks to this that Han Solo figures out as the story goes on is that after about a year, maybe sometimes a little bit more in the pilgrimage, they would basically ship them off of the planet and claim that they were going to be missionaries for other pilgrims when really they were either sold off – sold off. Let me use the correct grammar here <laughs> since I'm talking about a procedure. Uh, sold off <laughs> as either, well, essentially sex slaves or they'd be sold to the Mines of Kessel, which, uh, if you're familiar with the Star Wars history, the Mines of Kessel were usually used as a prison sentence. Uh, 
uh, it was the equivalent of basically a, a life sentence in prison, forced to do hard labor until you keeled over and died. Uh, so either way, <clears throat> they no longer got the exaltation, which means they probably died very quickly because they were addicted to it. Uh, and it was basically getting cut cold turkey. Mm-hmm. But they didn't care because they got the service out of them that they needed and then made some additional money off of them before they brought in a new batch of pilgrims. Yeah, I mean, it's a win-win for them. Yeah. It's not the pilgrims. Yeah. No, definitely not the pilgrims. Uh, which brings us to Pilgrim 912. Yeah. So, or 921. Uh, Hansel, <laughs> no, it's 912. That's it. Whoops. I wrote that down. I'm dyslexic. I think I put 921 in them, all my notes. Jeez, what's wrong with me? Uh, oh, crap. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I, Darn it, you're right. I, no, I could be wrong. I, You know? No, I just looked it in the book. I've got the book here. Oh, nine, you're right. It's 921. Uh, what is it? 90210? No, that's not it. 90210? Uh, there it is. <laughs> no, it's 8675309. Oh, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. But anyway, so 921, excuse me, Pilgrim 921. And Pilgrim 921 is, uh, well, anyway, Han Solo is deciding with Myrrh that he wants to kind of explore what the spice binds are like and kind of get a better understanding of the, the actual process these pilgrims are dealing with. And the ulterior motive here is, of course, he's hoping to maybe swipe and get a profit off some of these things on his own. Of course, he finds out he can't do that because of the security measures that are in place. But in the process of investigating, he meets a fellow Corellian, a beautiful young woman who calls herself Pilgrim 921. Another great character. And Oh, yes. Arguably one of the best characters in in definitely in the trilogy, maybe even within the Star Wars uh, universe. Oh, I agree. Uh, I agree. It's. If you think about it in terms of old canon to new canon, we're really dealing with the equivalent of Jyn Erso. I was going to say, yes, she's basically Jyn Erso, one of my one of my favorite characters in the new yeah. universe. And I wonder if Jyn Erso – I still wish they would do it to where in like the Han Solo movie coming out, the the character of uh, – what is her actress's name? Felicity, uh, Felicity Jones. Jones. Yes. Felicity Jones it makes a, a cameo. And, and goes by a different alias. And it'd oh, be, that'd be great. You know, yes. That would be great. So you could kind of get that connection because I really think um, that, that that would make such a great time. Oh, yeah, even if it like, was Bria, you know, it's just, just, just yeah. her name. Yeah. But as an alias, oh, that'd be great. Just a little callback. That would, that would make my day. Oh, you know so what? It'd be great. I had read somewhere that they were thinking about using uh, her, Jen Erso, as a – Plot point in the Star in the Han Solo movie I about said the Star Wars movie the Han Solo movie where you know how she's on that prison planet and mm. in the Han Solo movie it shows how she got there and it was because of him is what I had read that they were thinking about doing story wise oh, with that cool. it would I mean I would love to see that connection made and I would, again I would love to see one of her aliases be Bria just so we could again connect to this book for us fans that are that are huge fans of it. But we're we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. We haven't learned her name oh, immediately. That's right. He takes uh, Han Solo takes a good amount of time, actually probably the better part of a month, I would argue, uh, maybe even longer, to woo Pilgrim nine two one into giving him her name uh, and convincing her that he's, for lack of a better word, trustworthy enough to, to share that information with. <laughs> and that's because according to her religious vows as a pilgrim, she's not supposed to enjoy the pleasures of being with the opposite gender or anything like, like that. She gives up all of those expectations and hopes when she became a pilgrim. 
Uh, but of course, we as the reader know that it's all a sham, just like Han Solo does. Mm-hmm. And of course, he spends part of this book trying to convince her that it's not, uh, that it's not the real thing and that she needs to change her ways and, and go with him. But of course, after he's wooed her for a while, including I, I made a note in my notes that on page 142 in my copy, which I don't know if it still is in the Legends copy, he kisses Bria's hand uh, and freaks her out because it's the first time she gets a kiss. But it's almost identical to the conversation that Han Solo has kind of with Leia in The Empire Strikes Back, where they're in the, the Millennium Falcon within the, the space slug, and he's kissing her hand and her knuckles, and she's like, stop that. <laughs> but she's not resisting much? But she's not resisting very much. It's, it's a, if you read, it's a very, very similar parallel there, where Bria is resisting but not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously for different reasons, but she has reservations about Han, and I thought that was a neat kind of throwback to the movie. Ah, very uh, good. I, I didn't notice that. I'm assuming ah. he's just good at that. Uh, it's on page 142, Rob. Oh, very good. They're very nice. Uh, the only reason I know that's because I wrote it down. No, not because I'm that. <laughs> uh, well, you didn't read it for But anyway, so yeah, well, I did. So like I said, he he kind of convinces her that you know he's at least a good guy, and, and she should at least trust with her name. And he spends a lot of time really trying to woo her. Yeah. And then, you know, on that next page, 143, we finally get her name, and it is Bria. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, he, she even goes as far as to give her her last name, uh, which Theron, is Theron, yeah. Bria Theron. And we, we, we find out a little bit more about that family as, as we go. But the important fact is that she was Corellian, and, of course, Han has a, an affection for Corellian women. So uh, he's obviously interested in that particular uh, that particular girl. So we kind of get over the course of the first several chapters of this book, probably the first five or six, we finally get most of the the characters that we're going to be dealing with throughout the novel, mm-hmm. and and it's a great way to do it. Yes! Let's talk about some of his actual work. So as Han Solo is employment, his primary job is, as we found out, to be a pilot, and his motive behind this was to be a pilot so that he could get you know flying experience to join the Imperial Academy. But even within that, he's, of course, carrying finished product spice to be sold. But in addition to that, he sometimes has to transport raw materials back to Yelsha. Now, what really fascinates me is the the experience with the pirates. So, uh, Rob, why don't you tell us about that? Oh, man. I think at this point he was making a shipment, but I can't remember where he was going or his original – Destination was supposed it was to be just in deep space. Okay, yeah, and there was no plane. Yeah, and they were. He was mysteriously attacked, and I can't remember. I, I feel terrible here. I can't remember how he got out of it. He got out of the situation, but when he comes back to tell Tiruenza, Tiruenza is very suspicious, almost as if he knows that there are people out there looking for him, or people out there that are very suspicious or that want that spice. And then eventually we find out that it's the mm-hmm. huts that are very interested. They're supposed to be working together, the what is it, Till and the huts. However, we find out the huts might not yeah. necessarily be – might not be being honest, which is definitely something that breaks the pattern, right? You know, huts are – That breaks my heart. Of course. <laughs> Heartbroken over this. His achy yeah, I know. So, um, you know, Han, he's like, hey, look, if, if I'm going to do this again – I need my blaster back, and I need better shields. Yeah, because when he's in the fight, uh, Murg gets knocked out. Oh, that's right, yeah. He yeah. ends up having to take a detour to to Alderaan mm-hmm. uh, because he was looking for love in Alderaan places. 
was, I was like, I'm going to use that somewhere. And you beat me to it. Sorry, Rob. <laughs> I knew you wanted to, and I just, uh, you know. That was good. Well, it, well, I mean, you know. I wonder if Athens will say anything for that one. What were you expecting? Oh, maybe the Adams <laughs> family? <laughs> oh, it's a trap. Don't buy, don't buy for it. It's a trap. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I had to set you up. Since I stole your joke, I had to set you up. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, I've missed you guys. I miss you too, Jose. <laughs> uh, not you, Rob. Oh! Oh! <laughs> uh, the beloved one. Uh, sorry, I had to do it. Oh, oh anyway, so the, he goes to Alderaan, and, and obviously he gets his repairs, and uh, there's a couple of adventures that he does there that would, they would be warranted to read uh, if you get the opportunity to kind of give you a good feel of the Alderaanian culture. Yep. Which was, it's a fascinating uh, study. It's especially great because you actually get to see Alderaan, obviously not physically, but you get to visualize it as you're reading about it. And of course, since it's you know destroyed in episode four, spoilers. Hopefully not really. Glad <laughs> they had 40 years to watch it. Give or take. Since it's destroyed, it, you, you always kind of wondered what it looked like and, and kind of like that. And AC Christman does a really good job of giving you some of that uh, description. They apparently, have good ale there. Uh, yeah, the Alderanian yeah. ale. Um, since he he chases after that drink quite a bit in this story. And there was a scene there too, like apparently it was on a like a hollow screen of Princess Leia, and he's like, you know, saying, oh, she's pretty good looking, but a guy like me would never end up with somebody like her. <laughs> yeah, I remember that as is a nice throw in there. <laughs> and he was looking at Bail Organ. He couldn't believe that the planet was a, basically a pacifist planet, didn't allow weapons and. And he couldn't understand how anybody could have a, a, a crime situation like that. But he makes a really good connection uh, later in the book when we get to Coruscant, where he talks about the the police or the the law enforcement. And, and he's talking to Bria about it, and he says he didn't like going into Coruscant without a gun, and ends up getting one later uh, illegally because he's like the law enforcement carry guns, which means so does everybody else. <laughs> but on Alderaan, the law enfortment didn't carry guns. Yeah, they're like uh, Canada. Eh? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like. So he was like, I, I was just gonna say, uh, you know, they, they're such, such a peace loving group of people. You know, they're like, hey, buddy, quit quit doing that, eh? Put you that know? down. Like, yeah, put that yeah. down. Why are you selling that stuff? And that was pretty much it. I mean, that was the end of the conversation. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, they're watching me. I, I guess I better not do it. And, 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 I, and he doesn't. I'll say this too. This is also kind of a turning point with Mjorg too, because Mjorg actually thinks, you know, he, he had gotten injured during this battle, right? And then they had to go to Alderaan and everything. Yeah. Mjorg's actually surprised that Han stuck around to make sure that Mjorg was okay. And I think he's kind of touched by that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think he is too. I think that's, I think you're right. That's the turning point in their relationship. And then in addition to that, we get the, the positive relationship with Terenza because he doesn't sell uh, uh, any yeah. of the cargo. And when he gets back to Yelestra, they, they're like, hey, great. You know, now we can really trust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting is that almost immediately after we get that done, he starts putting into plan his way of escape. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he basically develops their trust. And then the next thing you start getting out of him is, all right, I got to get off this planet and I've got to take, you know, Bria with me and Merg might or might not be involved. We have to, we're going to have to figure that out, whether or not I'm going to have to kill him in order to do it, uh, which is, of course, upsetting because you know they've developed such a friendship. 
but you know his plans for escape happen almost immediately after that trust is set. Yeah, and and another great character that's introduced right around this time that's Jalis Neville. You know he. Oh yeah, the <laughs> Oh, he's great. He's great. I I really like his character too. He's and he gives a lot of really really too. valuable information to Han. You know, and that also kind of explains you know the heat between the huts and the as uh, the Talanda Till. Yeah. Which you know comes into play a little bit later. It does. It does. Uh, so he, he meets this particular pilot, and they get a lot of good conversation, and it gives you as a reader a lot of background. But you also see another friendship being developed, which is which is great. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Do either of you remember if Giles Noble ever makes a reappearance in this trilogy? Doesn't he come back in Hut Gambit? Or It's been so long since I've read that one. Yeah, I can't remember. It's been so long since I've read him, I can't remember. <laughs> but I want to say that you get so much preamble with him in this story, it would seem foolish to not bring him back. Yeah, I agree. He might even come back for Rebel Dawn. I can't remember. Yeah. There's a lot that goes on in those two books yeah. I don't want to dig into tonight. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, they obviously start changing their plans of whether or not they're going to stay and make money, and Han is trying to, to set up. Uh, in the process of all this, one of the methods that he employs is to get Bria out of the mines and into Terrawinza's trophy room. So Terrawinza is a collector, and he has a lot of different antiquities and – Articles of cultural significance, whether they be sculptures or art or tapestries or fill in the blank, that he has in his own little collection room. And you find out through the story that Bria was basically an archaeology major or studying to be a museum curator when she was in school. And Han develops or or reveals this information to Terwenza and says, hey, you should move her as a pilgrim working in the mines to – working in this collection and categorizing it and, you know, cataloging it so that it looks good. And all the while, again, you kind of see this sleazier side of Han Solo here. He's, you know, pitching Bria to kind of tell him what's the most valuable thing in that collection there. You know, let's make a list of the small things that we can kind of, you know, put into a bag, you know, just, just for fun, you know, no big deal. Doesn't, doesn't tell her everything, but he's, he's obviously gathering information for his escape plan. And, you know, that's one thing I admire about Han, too. Even as a teenager or early adult, you know, he's always got a plan. Very, very smart. Yeah, he does. Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, so finally, he takes the initiative and he reveals the truth to Bria, of course, who doesn't take that information very well, but, of course, finds out she verifies the truth in her own way, which I'll, I'll leave to the readers to, to figure out. But obviously at this point now they know that it's a sham. All of them do. And the next step is to try to figure out how to get off the planet. Now, Merg gets really mad about this because he overhears a conversation with Bria. So, Landon, why don't you take it from there? So, yeah, so Merg overhears the plan to escape. And, you know, he's kind of upset because he had come there to find his his beloved, his engaged bride-to-be. And that's when uh, Bria tells him, oh, well, there was a, a female Tagorian that was uh, brought in, and uh, she kind of, you know, after doing some back and forth, they find out that her description matches exactly what Marura remembered uh, his fiance being. And they had told Merg that his fiance, Marav, had been relocated to another colony, and from there, Merg kind of starts going along with Han and Bria with the plan to get off and try to find uh, Marav. Yeah. So he Han is basically 
desperate to, to get Merg on his side. And when he finds out that Marav is actually on the planet, he is able to get Merg on his side because Merg realizes that the honor code, based on his particular culture, that he had established with Terrenza is null and void because Terrenza had lied to him. So at that point, they're all three in the plans for the escape, and that's where we start to actually get some information about the huts, because this is about the time where Han is asked to go deliver a message to Jiliak the hut, who is Jabba's uncle or aunt. I can't remember which. I think it's uncle now and becomes an aunt later, <laughs> which is disgusting in its own way, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> anyway, so he's supposed to deliver a message to Jiliak the hut from Zavil the hut, who is the hut that's kind of running the, the Tyndall Till on Elysia. So he and Jalas Neville make that flight, and while they're trying to negotiate or, or deliver the message and, and gift and all that stuff, you find out that Ganner Toss, who is a character we haven't really heard much about, but he's kind of like this creepy old lackey that helps out Terowenza, has the hots for Bria. Yeah. And he wants to marry her. It's a beautiful wedding. Of course, freaks her out. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it would be. I, I just, I, I try to picture how she describes Ganner Toss and I can understand Bria's reservations. So, <laughs> gotta give Bria credit. Uh, she's thinking on her feet. She's able to negotiate a couple days because they were gonna marry her on the spot. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, she wanted to make it romantic, you know. Yeah. Yeah. She wanted to, to purify herself, <laughs> but you know, secretly, obviously, she's trying to run away with Han, so she's panicked because she's got less than 24 hours, and Han's not even on planet. Yet. Right. And I think doesn't doesn't Murg also find out that Mrav is about to be stationed to the mines in Kessel at this point? Oh yeah. Yes. While he was gone. Merg is requested to go hunting, and really he's running over to Colony 2, which is another pilgrimage on the same planet, to see Marav and verify that she's actually on planet. And when he finds that out, Rob's exactly right. She's wearing a sash that indicates that she would be basically shipped off the next morning. So things move real quick Yes. Uh, in, in this time frame. And, of course, Jiliuk is furious with the message that Han and Jalus deliver. So they have to bring back a, a negative response to, to Zavl and, and the Tyndall Till. And as soon as they land, you know, it's it's the gauntlet is the, the clock is ticking, the gauntlet is dropped, it's it's game time to get the escape on. How do we blow it up? There's always a way to do that. So Rob, why don't you tell us about the escape? Oh. <laughs> I'm trying to remember how it exactly went. Well it doesn't have to be perfect. Oh man. All I remember from memory is you put me on the spot there, Staticus. <laughs> I can't remember. They I got the fudge out of there. I'm sorry, Rob. I, well, yeah, okay, I was going to say, I do specifically remember Merg getting hit. And this is the part where I thought Merg died. And I was like, when I first read it, I was yeah. like, no, I knew it was going to happen. I was like, they're going to kill him off. They, it happens with every Star Wars book. One of my favorite characters gets killed. Yeah, I'll build you up to it. Oh, please. Okay. So, or, or Landon, you can hop in if you want to anytime. Sure. Because uh, I don't want to have this whole podcast be me talking. Because that's what Rob does with Turtle Flakes, Mr. Oh, <laughs> oh, snap. Rob, that's not true. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to catch it out loud. That was a little blow of the belt. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I'm used to it. Land does it all the time. I love yeah. you. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, as soon as Han lands, Bria, of course, panics because she's going to get married to Ganertos. Merg shows up and says, Rob is here, but she's going to be shipped off in the morning. We have to do it tonight. And he's exhausted, but he's like, okay, we're going to do it tonight. So his escape plan is, is has basically three parts. He shuts down the communications between the colonies. He sets up a diversion so that he, Bria, and 
Merg can break into the collections room and steal as many collectible items as possible. And then he, through some circumstances that I want you to read, readers, he's able to discern the clearance codes to get onto Teroenza's personal yacht so that they can escape on it. So he breaks in and shuts down the communications, and then his diversion is literally to basically blow up the mines with with overpowered blasters. And then as soon as that is done, of course, he goes to the collections room and he starts to, to help load all the stuff. And that's when he makes his fatal mistake. And Landon, if you want to take over there. That was uh, – so they're loading everything up, you know, in the collections rooms, kind of this big heist thing. And that's when Terowinza discovered, oh, my gosh, they're getting ready to leave. You know, the colony, the, the spices are on fire. They're losing billions and billions of credits because of this. And, you know, Han and, and Bria and uh, Mirage are cleaning out the uh, the collection room. And while they are, um, you know, the colony's on fire, um, there's some other explosions going on. Uh, the colony is basically burning to the ground. And Terowinds is in the collection room and the ceiling collapses. Yeah. And it uh, falls onto the hut overlord, crushing him. So that's, you know, that's not somewhere you want to be with a dead hut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're frantic to get out. They make a run for it. They make it to the talisman, which is the name of the yacht. They take off. And, of course, Han flies them to Colony 2, where they are. They see Marav, and she's about to, to load onto – or she's supposed to be picked up to go for uh, the trip to the mines of Kessel. And that's where, as Rob alluded to, uh, they decide they're going to drop Merv down on a rope to to call to Marav so she can see him and realize that he's who he is. And she would come to the ship, and then they could load up and, and depart. Uh, and that's, of course, where we, we hear, uh, as, as Rob indicated, that Merv gets shot, and you don't know how badly. But uh, they are able to get him back into the ship. They get Marav up into the ship. Han hightails it out of there. They meet Jawless in space, and he fake fires at them and actually saves their butts from getting captured. Yeah. Uh, which is why you love Jawless Neville so much, I think. Uh, and then after that, you know, they, they make the escape. They did it. They did it. Yay. They did. <clears throat> and then they go to Tagoria so that you can actually have the Tagorian wedding, and you get the opportunity to see Merg and Rav get married. Very romantic, by the way. Yes, yes. It's very romantic. You know, the, the mating or marriage ceremony was a little strange. <laughs> Um, much combat, much <laughs> combat. Yes. Yes, it was very interesting. Uh, but, of course, it was romantic, and Han used, takes advantage of it to serenade, for lack of a better way of putting it, Bria into his, his desires. But, of course, now Bria is dealing with withdrawal from the exaltations. Yeah. Which becomes a major factor as the book continues. And you think, well, now the book should be over. It's a happy ending. But it's not. It's not. Although oh. the Mozgoth ride was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, the picnic, That I mean, that was a great time. You know, but it reminds me of Aladdin. You know, I can show you the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to see it the same again. I know. I don't know why I thought of that. But. Shining, shimmering, <laughs> splendid. Except it's a, instead of the carpet, it's a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I want a monster. He's flying dragon park. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's a Nazgul. <laughs> From the Lord of the Rings. There you go. Oh, exactly. Which actually kind of 
it visualizes if that makes sense. So anyway, the book's not over. They decide that they're going to go back to Corellia, and this is where we learn a little bit more about the Farron family. And this is where I Bria's started getting family. upset. Yeah, this is where the book takes kind of a. I mean, this is this this is where AC Christian really makes it a real book. Yes, you know, kind of. Dude, ended it at the Tagarian wedding. It's like, oh, what a happy story. Everybody's happy, but the minute they that you see that it continues, and you're only about two thirds of the way through the book, you go, okay, now is where it gets real. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they go back to Corellia. And that's where Han Solo finds out that Bria is from one of the richest families on the planet. And obviously, he's a little self-conscious. Yes. She's an uptown girl. <laughs> She's an uptown girl. Thank you, Billy Joel. <laughs> so basically what you find out is Bria's dad and, and Han get along really well because he had a very similar early lifestyle and kind of developed it into being you know, the rich millionaire, billionaire that he is. But Bria's mom and brother are not so approving uh, of Han's life and backstory and, and anything else. So obviously there is some discord there, and it develops into some major plot points because you actually see that, you know, where you were kind of hoping for a happy homecoming and sure, we'll help you kind of get you settled and blah blah it, it takes a, a real quick nasty turn. And that's just face AC Christmas. She's really good at this because I felt uncomfortable for Han during this day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, oh man, how awkward is this? Because you can tell that mother does not like Han at all. She's like, so, so tell me about yeah. yourself. Oh, you're an orphan. You know, she's just, <laughs> uh, she's not into oh, him at all. You, you've flown dangerously. How, how far? Yeah. And then of course, when, you know, they make the connection that he had been associated with Garrett Shrike. And then she's like, oh, you mean I'm going to have to hide the silver in my jewelry? Do you think I need to go you know, count my, my, my jewelry and make sure nothing's taken? It, it, she gets so presumptuous so quickly, mm-hmm. so pompous. You really don't like her character. No, I don't like her at all. AC Crispin does a great job of making you really hate her character. <laughs> she's almost better strike. Yeah, almost. Yeah. I mean, and really she's, she's definitely prejudiced uh, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And you People like her. Strong. People like her, it makes you glad the Imperials occupied that planet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Han does take advantage of the fact that they did get a large number of items from Tyrion's collection, and he sells them to a collector that he apparently had met through Garrus Shrike, and puts all the money in what he considers a clean alias, which we didn't even mention that Han has been going by an alias this whole book, and finally reveals himself as Han Solo to Bria, actually on the ship to Tagoria. So... Uh, we go through probably a third to two-thirds of the book with him under the name Vic instead of the name Han, but uh, that's neither here nor there at this point. <laughs> uh, so he uses a clean alias, one that hasn't been used before, to give, to put, upload the money uh, or, and have it available on Coruscant when they go. And then pretty much when he returns from getting that money deposited and thinking everything's good to go, everything's going great, life's going to be awesome, that's when it all goes downhill. Because that's when you know the brother and mom kind of find out who he is. And they start to question whether or not they should call the authorities. And if it weren't for Bria's dad, we probably would have had a very different story. Yeah. He's a good yeah, old boy. Oh, sorry. He's a good old boy. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, Bri- Bria's dad's one of the one of the few guys. You know, like he he's he's the voice of reason in that family. It seems like. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like you said, he had kind of similar experiences in his past and mm-hmm. proud of them, but he knew they made him the man he was. If anything, he always had the perspective of no man would be horrible if he was willing to risk his own life to save my daughters. Yeah. He yeah. had that perspective, a perspective that neither the sister nor the brother were willing to take into account. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you find out that obviously the families are not going to agree with Han, so Bria and Han make a run for it, the the poor man's way. So they're running on very limited funds at the moment, and they take public transportation to Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, they sold the, the private yacht because obviously it was a traceable vehicle. Small plot point to throw it in there. <laughs> um, so they arrive on Coruscant, and that's where we get that conversation where Han doesn't like – he tells Bria, I don't like having to give up my gun, my blaster to go on this planet, and she's like, well, why not? He said, well, I look at the law enforcement. And when I looked at the law enforcement on Alderaan, and that was a pacifist planet with no guns allowed, none of the law enforcement carried guns. So, yeah, it was a pretty safe planet. I felt pretty comfortable there, as good as you could be without a blaster. He said, but here, notice all the law enforcement are carrying guns. That means that somebody, some bad guy has also got a gun. So it's not really, you know, gun-free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a good point. I wouldn't have thought about that. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they arrive on Coruscant, and uh, which one of y'all want to take on the discussion at the bank? I can I can do it real quick. Um, okay, so he, he's going to, you know, I guess, you know, get into his funds that he's earned, I guess, from selling a lot of Tyrone's collectibles. Is that how he yes. got the money? That's okay. Correct. Yeah. So he goes up to this. Uh, this was it a person uh, named yeah. Pract or something? It was a well. He goes to a bank teller first, and then he gets taken to the bank manager. Gotcha, gotcha. And mm-hmm. um, let me see. I've got uh, notes on. I, I couldn't remember his name. Plank. I guess that's his name. The, he tells that's Han, it. "What's that?" He said, "That's it." Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Plank. He tells Han that his account has been frozen, and now Han's starting to sweat a little bit. And you know, Plank's like, "I'm so sorry, but you were under arrest." And then stormtroopers begin to attack Han because Han is resisting arrest. Yeah, and he takes Plank prisoner. That's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> the Plank end up getting shot too. He does. I oh, yeah, poor Plank. He's just doing his job. Poor guy. He He's like begging the troopers, "Please don't shoot! I'm the guy that called you. I'm the guy that called you." And uh, take like, off, you hoser. You're not important. The stormtroopers actually <laughs> hit the <laughs> for once. He's in the way. Fire. <laughs> of course, they don't hit the guy they're aiming it's like at. I was so aiming I for Han. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so they get Plank instead. Um, so Han is, basically gets on a, a turbo lift and goes down and then he, time. you know, stows the body and then goes down again and goes down again and goes, he goes down so far that they no longer have turbo lifts, the equivalent of our elevators. He actually takes real stairs and it's, it's kind of a creepy world that he goes into because Coruscant is a, as a massive city, there's no real land anywhere on the planet. So when he's thousands of floors down or hundreds of floors down, I think he ends up going like, no, I think he goes about 1,100 floors down, if I'm not mistaken. He's in almost a completely different environment, you know, different ecosystems, different kinds of, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, people, more like animals. You know, it's a lot more humid. It's a lot more stifling. And she does a really good job of making it creepy. Yeah, yeah. She kind of freaks mm-hmm. out. Very close quarters. I don't want to go down there. <laughs> um, but the worst part about it is, of course, he has to go back and tell Bria basically that they're broke. And I don't know if y'all are familiar with the name, but one of the names that Plank threw out there, uh, for those of you that are familiar with the old canon expanded universe, was that uh, he mentioned that the, the funds were on, on freeze because of Koran, not Koran Horn, 
excuse me, Halhorn and Corsac. If you if you aren't familiar with that connection, Corsac is the Karelian sector police force. Uh, that's what Corsac stands for. Halhorn is uh, it, uh, he's dead in some of the later books, but his son Coranhorn actually becomes a Jedi and kind of follows a, a path with a lot of the X-wing comics and books, the X-wing Rogue Squadron books. So there's a there's a connection there that's very subtle, but it's a for those that have read the books, you're like, oh, okay, woo, that's really cool that they kind of threw that in there. Mm. So if you get the chance to read some of that, there's a plug for the X-wing series, whether it be the comics or the or the books, uh, you'll get a lot of history about Coran Horn and some of his father too, Hal Horn, who is name dropped in this particular book. So sorry, I, I digress. <laughs> so Landon, why don't you tell us about him having to to break down and, and tell Bria that things didn't go so well at the bank. Well, he goes, you know, they're staying in a, in a cheap motel room and, you know, that's how all sad love stories start. Um, he goes down into the, you know, the deepest levels of the, of the city, goes to this cheap hotel room and she's still fighting her addiction to the exaltation. She's still, you know, having withdrawals and flashbacks and, She's always apologizing, you know, for it. And he's always like, no, it's okay. It's okay. You know, you're, you're going to have to get over this. You will eventually. And when he comes back, uh, she's gone. And there was a note laying there saying that uh, she felt that she was holding him back from achieving his dream of going into the Imperial Academy. And it just broke his heart. But also with the note, um, the funds were left behind from a, loan that she had secured with her father uh, to go ahead and have him uh, have the fees to go ahead and apply to go into the Imperial Academy as a pilot. Yeah, which, of course, you know, he's heartbroken and, and distraught and crying and, you know, the, the, the classic Hallmark movie sad part, <laughs> which is very well written. And I would argue, you know, if you're a female and, and kind of big into the Hallmark movie, lovey-dovey stuff, really this book series is a great read because she, Icy Crispin, provides that to you. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a, a strong love story wrapped around, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars elements. It yeah. really is. And I don't know if maybe that's why I like it so much. It just feels different, you know, to See, me. Landon Rob's, Rob's admitting to us he's the biggest sap. Ah! <laughs> well, you guys knew that. You guys knew that. But I'll you know, tell you, it's good, but it's no love in the time of scurvy. <laughs> It's, it, yeah, but it is a power for folks that have maybe never got into the old expanded universe. If, if you love a good love story, this is <laughs> – I think it's as good as it gets, or yeah. it's up there. It's a really good read for – I mean it's a great Star Wars story in and of itself. Yes. But if you take the Star Wars element out of it, kind of like I would say the same for Rogue One, it's just yes. a good story. It's a good story. Yeah. Um, right. And it does. That, that love element really kind of brings it home, especially kind of catering to a lot of different audiences. I personally don't think you have to be a Star Wars fan to enjoy this book. No, you don't. Uh, I think if you ignore the fact that Star Wars was in the title and you just read Paradise Snare and then read it, I mean, if you take it off of planets and put it in, on Earth and just have it kind of be, you know, you could get the same storyline. Oh, yeah. You know, having a kid that grew up in the slums of New York and, and kind of found his way into, you know, it's extremely plausible that this could be taken into a different setting and have the same story. Yeah, I agree. Which is what makes mm -hmm. it such a great book. Uh, so anyway, yeah, Bria leaves him, and and of course that's, I mean, it really is one of the most heartbreaking moments. I mean, it's almost a tearjerker for the reader. 
If not, it is a tearjerker for the reader. Uh, oh, I mean, you think of how much they've been through, and it's I'm like, sure she's going to leave now? Oh, I'm, no, no, no. I, yeah. don't I mean, come on. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was lifting weights after the book. <laughs> then he had taped the book to the to the bar, so then as he lifted, he, oh, chapter 12. <laughs> I'm not crying, I just strained a hamstring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so obviously he's heartbroken, but he does take her advice and use the money that her father gave her and go to the Imperial Academy. And now the book ends, right? Uh, pretty close. You know, <laughs> not quite. Uh, he, you know, of course, you get a, a little bit of a story about how he had to kind of go through the grueling part of the Imperial Academy, especially the academic side of things where he was lacking. I found it personally offensive that he was having troubles with galactic music as one of the subjects <laughs> that he had to have remediation in. You know. yeah, Max Rebo is a tutor. Yeah, but he did great with artwork, which, I mean, you know, uh, how dare he? <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, the oral arts are purely far more fascinating than the visual arts. I don't know what you're talking about. Far more civilized. Far far more civilized, eh? (laughs) Uh, But anyway, so he – but of course he flies – he scores flying color scores on his his piloting because he's had lots of practice. Uh, So props to him for that. And he actually makes the Imperial Academy and decides, you know – Now the story's over, right? No, he decides. Yeah. See, see what I'm saying? Like she could have ended it so many different times, but she keeps throwing good stuff at you. Yeah, it's like the right. return of the king. You know how you're like, well now, but you know, in a they, good way. They threw the ring into the fires of Mordor. The movie's over, right? No, you still got an hour left. No. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, well the book's the same way. You know, you're a third of the way through it, and then you've still got two thirds left. Anyway, back to the this book. All right, Rob, I'm going to let you – since you just finished it, I'm, I'm guessing you probably finished with this particular part today because uh, once you start those last few chapters, you, you can't stop. So um, why don't you take on you keep, dinner? You keep picking me on the vague stuff that I remember. Oh, the vague stuff? It's, you just finished it <laughs> Well, today. okay, I remember the highlights. Oh, no, no, get, hear me out. I remember the highlights. I remember who shows up. Oh, <laughs> tell us that. I can't remember. Yeah, he goes out to okay, dinner and so, treats himself to a nice dinner, and then boom. Things are starting to look up for the guy. You know, guy, poor guy got his heart broken. And, you know, he joins the academy. He's finally getting the swing of things here. And you think, oh, you know what? Han is going to make it. He's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, the guy, a callback to the very beginning of the book, Mr. Garrett Shrike shows up. Yep. And apparently, now, for I'm going from memory here. I didn't actually get to reread the last few chapters, so I'm going from, like, the first time I read it. Oh, you're um, sir. I know. I, I almost... <laughs> I almost reread the entire thing again. I, I got really close. I think it was like on chapter 15 or 16. So anyways, apparently Garrus Reich – well, first of all, Han is not afraid of him anymore. You know, yeah. and, and Han is – he knows he's in he's in trouble. He knows he's in danger. But Han's not a little boy anymore. You know, not a manipulative – or manipulated little kid anymore. Yeah. And he knows he's probably going to have to fight to the death with this guy. And I think don't they end up having a pretty serious brawl for a while? Oh before, yeah. Or doesn't doesn't someone else isn't yeah. someone else looking for him? Another bounty. Oh, see, Garrus Strike had taken back on being a bounty hunter specifically to hunt down Han Solo because when the Huts had basically put a price on his head because he you know killed Zabla Hut and you know kind of mm-hmm. ruined the whole pilgrimage and everything like that at Yelusia uh, at least temporarily uh, setback it anyway. His alias, Vic Drago, 
was something that Garrus recognized. And he's like, well, I know him by his real name, so if he's going to go by a different alias, I bore his real name, I'll know who it is. So he hunts down Han. Well, another bounty hunter knows that Garrus would probably be the person to know him, so he follows Garrus. Mm-hmm. So as as you indicated, Garrus and, and Han get into this huge fight. Yeah, it's, it's and, like and, a good five page spread there of just I fights. Say, I would say it's a nail biter, but really it's you know I think they end up actually biting, like kicking, fighting, screaming, <laughs> biting, punching, jabbing eyes. I mean it's it's brutal. Oh yeah, and, and very descriptive. I mean not explicitly bad or anything, but just you know you you can visualize every punch and every jab the whole way through. But the appearance of the other bounty hunter kind of sets things into a out of equilibrium, and it ends up being bad for Garrus because yes, it does. Uh, Han is able to overpower Garrus, and ends up. But well, actually, no, I lied. I'm sorry. Who can correct me? Um, Garrus, Garrus gets shot, and he's. It's after he's trying to convince Han not to shoot him. But what ends up happening is Han doesn't pull the trigger. The other bounty hunter does. Ah, that's it. Yes. That's it. I remember that. Yeah. So that's how Garrus dies. And then, of course, Han gets in a fight with the other bounty hunter, who's younger and more fit. And you get another fight. So, I mean, Han's just – he's just getting beat up. (laughs) I was going to say – I was going to say, you know, after um, Shrike's dead, then the novel ends, right? No, not so much. Not so much. But he he finally does – In a good way. Yeah, no. He finally does win that fight. And, uh, you know, once again, you kind of see the smart side of Han here. The guy basically bashes his head on something and, and, and dies. You know, it's not something intentional. So Han doesn't murder him. It's kind of just self-defense. But Han takes advantage of it and, like, literally blows his face off with a blaster. I so know, crazy. So that he's unrecognizable. And then puts his aliases, his, his the ones that are traceable, on the person's body and then kind of throws him off the side of the building so that he's found in the slums, of course, on somewhere hundreds of floors lower. And they would think that it's that alias, you know, oh, and speak of the, the Drago. You know. Speak of the uh, aliases. Did you guys notice the one last one he had as uh, a Genos? I, Danian. Yeah. That's the one that he which was is, using. Yeah. India, Indiana Jones backwards. <laughs> I was like, that is so clever. I like that. That. Is, that is. I didn't catch that. You actually mentioned that the last time you and I talked about this book, and I was like, oh, I never knew that. <laughs> uh, that's right. So I, I completely forgot about that until you said it again. See, there you go. That's what uh, I'm right, I, I guess we can keep Rob. The random useless information. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, then I guess we'll keep him. You know. Yeah, he's all right. I guess he's all right. Yeah, I guess. Feed me a piece of cheese every seven hours. I'll be happy. <laughs> Well, we'll put you on a wheel so you can just keep running. <laughs> well, anyway, then we finally do get to the end of the book. The epilogue starts, and it's Han on the day that he's boarding the ship to join the Imperial Navy. And I, I loved the the conversation he had with the Imperial officer right before the book ends, where the officer's like, Cadet Solo, why do you have a black eye? And again, you get in Han Solo's head, and he's like, do I lie? Nope, I'm just going to tell the truth. Sir, I got in a fight. <laughs> and, and the officer's like, well, I can see that. What was it about? And uh, he was like, somebody was disrespecting the Empire. Like, well, did you show him off? He'll never disrespect the Empire again. Well done. He moves on. He didn't lie. Good job. That's true. <laughs> uh, so the book ends on a pretty high note. You know, Han Solo is joining the Imperial Navy. His dream has come true, and he's gone through a lot of trials to get there. Ah, so many good things about this book. 
I know. Oh, so many good things. Readers, that is how this book ends. It is it is kind of conclusive, but of course you know it's a trilogy, so you know that new stuff happens in, in the later books. But again, uh, it was such a great book. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This one opened the door for the expanded universe for me. I mean, and it, it kind of set the bar really high for me. Yeah. This is still to this day, I, I would say this one and Rebel Dawn, the third one. And I like Todd Gamut, you know, great. It's a great book. All three of them are great for their own reasons. But this is the one that kind of opened the door. And I'm so thankful that this is one of the first old expanded universe books we've talked about because I think this is kind of what it's all about for me. Yeah. I would go on to read dozens of Star Wars books after this book. That I probably wouldn't have even given a try if it weren't for this book. So I'm just thankful for great writing. I'm thankful for the great characters. Um, Yurg, Nebel. I love Han in this one. I think Han is – AC does a great job of making Han kind of sensitive in this book. And you see like later on he gets a little bit more hardened, and uh, and that's kind of the Han Solo we see in the films eventually. Yeah. Bria is one of my favorite characters, and she basically becomes – she basically is Jyn Erso before we knew Jyn Erso. Mm-hmm. I just am so amazed by the writing in this book. I mean, this is one of my all-time favorites, and it always will be. I mean, I just – I love this book for so many reasons, but you know, I, I just say this is what encapsulates everything I love about the expanded universe. This is one of those – it's that good, guys. Go check it out if you've not read it. I, I wholeheartedly agree. So, Rob, mm-hmm. a few words to give it a rating in – ooh, let's do hmm, – well, let's just do blasters. How many blasters out of ten would you give this Han Solo the Paradise Snare? I'll tell you what I do. I do ten blasters and ten mud baths out of ten. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I would because this is the one of – this one and Rebel Dawn are tied for my two favorite books, and they're both by the same author. I know it's kind of crazy to think about, you know, but there's a lot of great writers out there. Timothy Zahn. Oh, um, Steve. Is it Steve Perry? No, Steve Perry was Steve Perry. right? You're right. No, oh, Steve Perry? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I got it right. Okay. I, I still think it's Steve Perry. Well, I think so. Shadows of, the Empire. Uh, Shadows of the Empire. Let me just say that. They're, they're, they're great books, but I, I dare say that I like these even better. Ten out of ten for me. I can't think of anything I dislike about this book. So I, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Steve Perry, you're right. Um, I checked. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he sang for Journey too. Hey, he didn't stop believing. <laughs> what about you, Iman? Oh, I'd probably give it a zero out of. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, I'd give it a ten out of ten blaster and uh, Alderanian ale. Ah, nice one, nice one. Nice. It's it's a great book. Like Rob said, it was the first book that I read in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, you know, and you guys both recommended it. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And I read the first one within about, I think I read it in four days, read it a little bit each night. And then I'm like, okay, well, now I've got to get the Huck Gambit and Rebel Dawn, read those, same thing, you know, four to five days on each one. And after reading the trilogy, I mean, this is a good first book. It doesn't, it gives you enough to get started but it doesn't tell you the whole story off yeah. the bat, which is one thing I really like. It kind of leaves you wanting more after you finish it. Mm-hmm. It and Rebel Dawn are probably my two favorites. Hut Gambit's a great book, but it's, you know, I think I like the first and third one a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But this kind of, like Rob said, this opened the door for me, you know, to start reading other Expanded Universe books. I got, golly, Tales from Moss Osley Cantina's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh 
Yeah. The Darth Bane series, which I'm on the second book of that. Really like those. Oh, Drew Carpetian's another great writer. Yeah, I forgot yes. about that. Yeah. Yeah. The Timothy's Timothy's on uh, the Thrawn trilogy, which I'm still going to have to try to finish that. I'm halfway through the third book now and I need to finish that over Christmas and just so many others. It just kind of opened the door for for Star Wars. You know, I always loved Star Wars and I always kind of wondered, you know, well, what happened before and after the movies and, and this, you know, the old legends expanded universe did that in a big, big way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I would agree with both of you. Listeners, it, this is a 10 out of 10 from all three of us. I'd give it 10 blasters, 10 mud baths, 10 Corellian Corvettes, you name it. Uh, <laughs> 10 Alderady Nails. I, I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic book. And it is, as both Rob and Landon have indicated, it's a great introduction into the Star Wars universe. It was not my first original canon or old canon expanded universe book. But it's still one of my favorites, if not one. Uh, well, I don't know if it's the favorite, but it's way up there. It's at the top. It's definitely top five. And it's just because it gives you so many great characters and the, the storytelling is just remarkable. And it's so hard to put this book down. Yeah. I mean, I was I'm going to be honest when Rob was like, oh, we need to do Paradise Snare again because we didn't really get the recording out of, you know, at the beginning of the year. We'll do another one. I'm sitting there going, I don't want to reread the same book in a year. Well, I guess I'll start it. And I mean, the minute I started, it, I was like, what was I dreading? This is great. <laughs> so don't take my negative attitude at the beginning. It's just, it was such a great book and I couldn't wait to keep going. And now that I'm finished, I'm I'm actually torn. I want to go into the Hut Gambit and read it, I but too. I'm, I'm focusing on other books right now uh, as we get to Christmas break. So, but guys or girls, whoever's listening to this podcast, go read Star Wars: The Paradise Snare. You will not regret that decision. I agree. You know, honestly, that this just me. This is the one I still compare all the new books I read to. You know, like mm-hmm. what. New new canon stuff. I, I'm like, is it as good as Paradise Snare? You know, I, I still think about that. I'm like, does it meet that yeah. bar? And again, like I said earlier, it, even if you're not a hardcore Star Wars fan, you would enjoy this. But if you are one, it's just going to make it even better because it's just a great story in a Star Wars universe. So, yeah, um, exactly. man, it's stuff. So I'll shut up, though. OK, well, no, no, no I thought you're going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he said really happy. Okay, that sounds good. <laughs> yes, Rob's gonna be quiet. No, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, I know we're we're getting late, um, so I don't, I don't want to keep you guys too much later. Um, thanks so much for doing this. I know we jumped into it late and kind of crammed it in, but I think we did Paradise Snare some good justice here. I think so too. I'm so glad we did this again because I, I felt like I don't know. I I felt like this was a perfect pace. It wasn't too slow. We did a 300 page book in about an hour and a half. You know. We did yeah. have some technical issues and stuff, which caused us to be later. But I think if we can review a book in an hour and a half, we've, we've done it justice, but yeah. without going too long, you know? Right. Le- I agree. Leave something for the readers to exactly. look forward to. Exactly. Yeah, we yeah. didn't want to give away everything. That's why we tried to leave some vacant spots so that even if we spoiled some things, we didn't kill the whole book Yeah. Um, and make it useless to read. Listeners, I will say this on air. Um, the link that I'm going to attach in the show notes does have pretty much a detailed synopsis of every chapter through Wikipedia. So if you don't want to know every single thing that happens in the book, don't read the article in its entirety. Just kind of skim through the – it gives you the, the back of the book description, the, the back of the cover, plus you know the, the specs that I listed off about the publisher and, and author and so on and so forth. Feel free to peruse that, but if you don't want to get spoiled anything beyond what we've spoiled in this podcast, don't 
don't read the rest of the article because it goes into pretty good detail. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so I'm hoping that, Landon, you've got a, a flavor of, of blue milk for us. Oh, a flavor of blue milk. Hmm. Since it's holiday, let's have some peppermint-flavored blue milk. Ah, I was thinking the same thing, mm-hmm. Jose. <laughs> that sounds delicious. By the way, guys, I make a, a killer peppermint ice cream if you ever want to come down to Bryson. Ooh. Oh. I have a pretty good homemade recipe I've made a couple times. And if I may uh, say so myself, I am an award-winning ice cream maker. I had a Really? I, I did. I won the, uh, of course, it was for my church, but, which I, I beat out the old people, so I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> there you go. I made, I made a homemade key lime pie ice cream that won Ooh, oh my ice cream. And it was gluten free key lime pie ice cream because I was trying to brown nose some of the judges. But, you know. <laughs> so. Party at South House. Yeah, party at my house. We'll have peppermint ice cream, like just with our peppermint blue milk. Oh. So anyway, sorry, listeners, <laughs> I digress. Uh, so all right, well, peppermint blue milk. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to another episode of Star Wars Ties with my awesome hosts Lando Fett and Rob Vader. We hope you enjoyed it, and we also hope that you enjoy a tall, refreshing glass of peppermint blue milk. May the force be with you. Yeah, go read the book. Do it. Do it now. That was fun. I had a great time, guys. That was good. Yes, that was a good one. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, it sounds good. So, sorry, uh, you know, technology was uh, was a bummer, but I think we did the book justice, like I said before. I do too, and I, I really appreciate y'all staying up to do it because I was, oh, I was so furious when this computer was not working. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, gosh, oh, poor Landon. Like you know, anytime Landon and I would do uh, the Retro Junkies, something would go wrong. I don't like almost every episode something would go wrong, technology, whatever it would be. So, you know, we're we're used to it, man. <laughs> yeah. We know how to get around it. Oh yes. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, but we are we're hoping and we're uh, certainly excited about the possibility of having our interview with Alan Dean Foster, the original yeah. expanded universe author. Yeah. That's not, that still blows my mind, man. I, I can't I don't know how the heck you got him, but I don't know, whatever, how much money you gave him, I appreciate it. <laughs> only remember her name because I thought it was cool that there was a Jedi librarian. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did I because quiet. I had a brain fart right now. <laughs> if it does not that, like, in the archive, it does not exist. I'm like, this lightsaber's due on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> you better put it together right. First time. <laughs> Do I have the Dewey Decimal System? <laughs> Can you imagine how many zeros, ones, and I mean, think about it, because that's thousands of years of digital. It's a hard job. Oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. Uh, All right, so, but thank you, I I, I appreciate it. Your picture is, you know, it's great as long as you hold your thumb over the person on the right. Yeah, that guy in the blue, he totally ruins the picture. <laughs> is, that, is that picture still up? That's funny. It doesn't it's, it's, it's show on my when You were like in high school. Once again, guys, uh, it was great having you on. I really appreciate this. I know it's you know, time out of your schedules. And oh, it was fun. Nah, that, it ain't no deal. Uh, I have so much fun doing this. Um, and it's it's a whole lot more fun when I've got you know, 
Star Wars homies. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, man. No, I had fun too. I like I like the three man team. That was fun. Yeah, it was great. We we play off each other really well. Um, but of course, you know, Landon and I play off each other a whole lot better than Rob. Well, I understand. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> No, what it is, I set the bar so high, you know, that there's no way you guys can keep up. So you guys just quit trying after that. Well, I mean, if I was trying to compare myself to Turtle Fights, we'll never keep up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Rob, you have, you have set, you established an empire with Turtle Fights. <laughs> 